This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, so welcome back, you know, to our to our fifth part here of the series on resilience. And and boy, it's been a been a fun series to do. It's been been fun having conversations around this topic and and looking at it again, like resilience is not success. You know, I want to say that again. It's it's not success. I mean, success is you know it has that idea of a different kind of winning than what what Marcus is thinking about. And and the winning and resilience is not giving up. You know. Allowing God to hold us, and, and even in those moments where we're feeling despair, just, just, just really trying to very quietly take a breath and know the trust that lies on our heart. Not try to sort through and discover it or work at it. It's just, it's just like allowing there to be enough quiet that we can find that trust at the level of our heart, which is the key to resilience. We've been doing this as part of a five-part series here. First part was, will we survive this? Second part was patience when it all goes wrong. Third part was confronting reality with unwavering hope. Fourth part, showing up for the ones we love. And today's a really important question. A really important question. What do we want to be when this is over? You know, eventually COVID will go. I mean, probably we're months and months and months and months away from that, months and months till we have a church that resembles maybe in some ways what we did before, but it'll be dramatically changed. Uh, you know, the election will be over. Hopefully we've found some places of healing in our cities with some of the strife we've seen. You know, what do we want to be when this is over? I think is a really significant question. Who do we want to be when this is over? Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like you to take a look at this question. What do you want to be or who do you want to be when this is all over? Well, the story we've been using is this ancient, ancient story of Joseph. Ancient story, 3,000 years old. But it's a story that's got a lot to teach us about resilience here in October of 2020. And this is who Joseph was. This is who Joseph was. His, his story starts here. He was a, was, a, was a brother. His 11 other brothers aren't so particularly enamored with him and his dreaming. And so what they do is they sell him off into slavery, telling their father that he'd been killed. They take him off into slavery. He actually ends up eventually imprisoned. After he ends up imprisoned, he ends up actually being invited by, by Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to interpret a dream. He interprets the dream. He ends up having a position of deep, deep, deep power, incredible power, in the Egyptian kingdom. Now, again, it's literally a rags-to-riches story. A rags-to-riches story. And, and, and the point of the story, the way the story goes, is, is it ends with this beautiful, dramatic scene of Joseph finally reuniting with his brothers. Now, now it's easy to like look at that and just think, oh, isn't that sweet? He got back together with his brothers. But folks, there's so much humanity in that picture. Thursday night, small group. We're talking about this question. We're talking about the people in our lives who we feel like the relationship is damaged, is hard, is broken, and won't ever change. And, and it's, it's fascinating, right? We share a question like that, 
And we don't just share a question. We share tears. We share our heart. And we share those places where our hearts are broken. Because I imagine all of us have a relationship that we just feel is just permanently ruptured. Can never change. See, that's what makes that picture such a miracle in so many ways. Here's Joseph, who no doubt for decades, probably, and again, we're talking a poetic story here that's to teach us bigger points, for decades probably have felt like, you know, he would have felt anger, vengeance, disappointment, but also deep sadness of not having his family, not having those connections, having relationships that there appeared to be no way that they would ever change, yet they do. And if you hear one thing today, please hear this. And it comes in the form of a question and an answer. What's the point of resilience? If the point of resilience is just so I can feel stronger or I can feel tougher or I can show how I actually walk two miles uphill both ways to school in Western Pennsylvania, like whatever it might be, if it's to prove that kind of thing, that's not the point of resilience. That's a different game. That's a finite game, which we're going to be talking about next week. So what is the point of resilience? Well, it's trust at the level of the heart. And it's trust at the level of the heart. It's all about this word. Reconciliation. Reconciled. Slash connected. Resilience, the point of resilience is, is to keep us in connection, to keep us keep it working at relationships, relationships with the better angels of our nature, relationships with our family, our community, our loved ones, our friends, those we don't necessarily even know all that well, and reconciliation, connection with God. That's the point. That's why it's so important to have this idea of resilience. The point of Joseph's story, again, the point of Joseph's story was not resilience so that he could get to be this all-powerful ruler in Egypt. It wasn't that. The point was this. That's what resilience was all about. From a new church connection, we believe that there's, there's this unity of, of uh, the God desires, universe, this one song, una one, verse song, that there's this one song, and God's endeavor is constantly to bring things back into a wholeness. For those of you who are familiar with the, with the Jewish tradition, it's takun alam. It's the same thing. It's bringing back into connection where we're all to bring back our little part of it as best we can. And what's fascinating about resilience, what's fascinating about the, the Bible, I find, is so much of what these people know, it's, it's reflected in, in, in just modern science today. Like, it's just, it's both good theology and it's good psychology at the same time. There's never a division between religion and science. You know, science can help us to get language around what theology offers. Here's a simple example. New York Times headlines. I think four people sent me this article. New York Times about a month ago ran an article that says, what makes some people more resilient than others? And this is what they said. The tools common to resilient people, research says, 
Optimism that's also realistic. You gotta love that. A moral compass. Religious or spiritual beliefs. Cognitive and emotional flexibility. Social connectedness. I want to read those one more time because I think they're really beautiful. Optimism that's always realistic. So it's not sort of untethered Pollyannish stuff. A moral compass, not a map. A compass that can point to a true north. Religious or spiritual belief. Those are those parts that ground us, directly connected in with a moral compass. And at the same time, not in opposition, but in, but in a synthesis, cognitive and emotional flexibility. Again, like, you have that idea. I have these, this groundwork that I'm, that I'm clear on, these things that I'm clear on. Trust at the level of the heart. That's something I'm clear on. And at the same time, I have to be deeply flexible. And I have to be connected with other people. That's how it works. Now, I want you just to hold those points as we hear parts of this story from Joseph. And, and again, folks, you, you know, the human drama here is just so incredible. You know, just review from last week. So, so Joseph is this ruler, and he's got control over large, large storehouses full of food. His brothers arrive from a land north of Egypt. They travel down. They are essentially refugees. They are essentially refugees who are starving. They get a chance to meet with Joseph. Now, they have no clue who he is. No doubt they thought he was long gone. But he knows exactly who they are. Can you feel the tension in that moment? How hard that moment would be? What decisions are you going to make? We looked last week at, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't sort of say, hey, I know who you guys are. He cries. Mercy's love grieving. And then the story carries on, and this is how the story moves forward. Come close or come near to me. So he beckons them to come forward. When they, done, when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. and For the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. For two years now, there's been famine. And for the next, there'll be no plowing or reaping. But God has sent me, just repeat it, but God has sent me ahead to preserve you as a remnant on earth and to save your lives for a great deliverance. There's something, folks, about that line. Come close to me. Come near to me. We can see, like again, a a clear moral compass. We can see a social connectedness. We can see a flexibility. We can see a high emotional intelligence. We we, we can see what, what resilience actually really looks like. And how reconciliation can work in the world. And then there's this incredibly beautiful line that sort of solves, or I know solves might not be the right word, but sort of encapsulates so much of where Joseph was coming from. This beautiful line from Genesis 50, though you intended it for evil, God intended it for good. Sort of that idea that, that here's God saying like, Like, look, out of this really hard stuff, I'm still at work. I'm still here. 
I'm still with you on your journey. We're going to look when I come back about like, yeah, how does, how does this actually work? Like it's easy to have it up here, but, but let's talk about how we, can, how we can make this work in our lives. Like what does it look like? Because our lives are filled with these really hard interruptions and we're really being called a lot at this particular time towards resilience and towards trust at the level of the heart. And also as part of that, we're also being called to reconciliation. How does that work? Now to set up our middle part of the service here, we're going to run a real short, quick little video. We run a short little video in the middle just because we have some people who tune in late. And again, we're trying to get our finances in order here at New Church Live. So we have a short little video on that, followed by a beautiful song celebrating the number one command of God, which is be not afraid. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to New Church Live. Things have changed over the last year, and a lot of us are still watching from home. It's easy when we're watching from home and sitting on our sofas to forget to donate. No buckets being passed when you're on your sofa. I know myself, I've been guilty of this. Please remember, your contributions are what make today possible and all the other services and programs that are provided by New Church Live. And it's easy. Simply text the word New Church Live, all one word, to 77977. Thanks so much, and we appreciate your support. Part of me, I just don't want to be afraid anymore. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be nervous. I want to be grounded. I want to be connected. Imagine many of us want the exact same thing. Now, it's interesting that be not afraid. I mean, so much of, of fear is, and the need for God to constantly remind us, like, do not be afraid. It's interesting what happens so much in the Bible, like just a rhythm we just hear again and again and again is God interrupts someone's life, they're deeply afraid, God says, don't be afraid. Like, there's, there's that rhythm throughout the Bible. And Joseph's life fills with those interruptions, fills with those interruptions. I mean, just a list. And we could, I mean, I could add on a ton more. You know, he's, he's, his life, his dreams are interrupted by his brother's jealousy, no doubt by despair, uh, on his part, by exile, he's sent out of his land. He's in prison. That clearly is an interruption of a dream. By the forgetfulness, he actually gets forgotten while he's there in prison. Then a famine happens, totally life interrupted by that. Then last week, we looked at a life interrupted by sorrow, like he sees the brothers that he loves. Sees those he yearns for connection with. And he breaks into tears. 
And I think we could sum it all up that our dreams, how we hold life, you know, it just gets interrupted by life. It's just a series of interruptions again and again. I want to say this. Those are interruptions for us. Please listen carefully. They're not interruptions for God. Those are interruptions for us. Those are not interruptions for God. God's care, God's concern, the, the work, like the work goes on. And I, I don't think, I mean, in my mind, I don't think God kind of sends the hard interruptions there to test us or to see if we have resilience or so we can learn to be tough or, or bootstrap. But I don't think anything like that. I think those things happen. Those interruptions happen because we live in this life. And that God's with us in that. What we might call interruptions, he would call life. Imperfect and unceasingly good. Imperfect and unceasingly good. And that unceasingly good work of love that just simply doesn't end, that just simply doesn't quit, that unceasing good work ends up being this beautiful fire. Now I want to share with you a, a great piece of a poem by T.S. Eliot who wrote in the early 1900s. And it's a beautiful line where, where he's kind of talking about this both end of life, that either our life can be, can be consumed, quote unquote, by love, by this unceasing work of love, or by its opposite. The flames of hate and anger and vengeance, all those pieces are every bit as real. Here is a fire that warms here is a fire that burns. T.S. Eliot. The only hope or else despair lies in the choice of pyre or pyre. To be redeemed from fire by fire. Who then devised this torment? Love. Love is the unfamiliar name behind the hands that wove the intolerable shirt of flame. Which human power cannot remove. We only live, only suspire, consumed by either fire or fire. Consumed by either fire or fire. I think that is, is so much the challenge of, this, of times like this. Like, which fire do we want to be consumed by? And we do have choice there. I love what people said, you know, uh, what people said in terms of... Uh, what they, who or what they'd like to be. And here are just a few responses. There's a bunch online as well. I want to be someone who brings people together from all sides of the political highlight, excuse me, landscape. Someone who highlights our common community. Alive and thriving, a.k.a. rejoicing. That's a great line because, because uh, rejoice, the word rejoice means to thrive. So when you hear that in the Bible, it really means to thrive. A little bit wiser, when this is all over, I want to be more connected to those who matter most to me. I want to be aligned. Here's just a, just a sampling of, of what people want, you know, in terms of, of who they want to be when this is all over. And we see people making those choices, like what that can actually look like. Story here, looking at this question, you want to be when this is all over. 
You know, this is Christian Cooper. Many of you are aware of that story. He was birdwatching in New York City. Uh, a woman called the police on him, and it ended up being this big kerfuffle. And, and you know, understandably so. And he had this, he had this beautiful line. And, and it was this line bringing us back to com- compassion, compassion, compassion for somebody who had, you know, clearly had stepped over a line. And what he, what he says, I must err on the side of compassion. I know that some people may disagree with my reasoning and that this decision comes as a disappointment to many. But under the circumstances, it's the only course I can pursue in good conscience. Now, it doesn't like make light of the story, but what it does, it, it's, there's an invitation there to a world. An invitation to something greater, an invitation to something bigger, to something more important, something beyond just us. That beautiful piece of resilience, that beautiful question of like, who do we want to be? And then this concept here, which I just find so incredibly powerful. So much of resilience is where we have to find a purpose greater than the pain. A purpose greater than the pain. I think, at least for me, and I imagine for you, Times like this, the pain, I feel like there's just as, as uh, Dan, who was somebody in our small group, said, it's just kind of we're living with kind of this baseline anxiety. And all of a sudden, these moments of pain come. And it's, it's really easy, folks, please listen carefully here. It's really easy to collect around pain. It's really easy to reinforce one another's pain. It's just part of the human condition. It's what we seem to do. But can we do this? Can we collect as best we can, knowing of course there's pain, and we don't want to say there's not, but can we collect around purpose? Can can we get a bigger picture that will help us to see our way through this? I mean, that's that's why God gives us His Word. So we can read stories like Joseph and maybe discover, maybe discover this this trust that lies on our heart, this this trust that we actually do have when we quiet ourselves. And we can collect around that purpose. You know, this line, purpose greater than the pain, this is from a a parishioner who I love to pieces, Cain, who's watching right now, you know, and he's, he's had his own health battles and he wrote a beautiful post about it. And it was talking about like purpose greater than the pain. That's what we need to focus on. And what if this? What if that purpose was reconciliation? What if we could allow that purpose to be greater than the pain? No one texted me. What do I want to be or who do I want to be when this is all over? Nobody texted me the answer, I want to be right. What does that say about humanity? What does that say about the better angels of our nature when we allow them to really work into our lives and into our hearts, finding that trust that lies right at that heart level?
this purpose, reconciliation. It's got to be greater than the pain we're facing today. If we can live like that, maybe we can, if we can live like that, maybe we can share a, a, a view of the world that's a lot like this young man who's watching us from Arkansas. Yeah, we're, yeah, it's a bit rainy, and we're still going to smile. Maybe it's as well the language of this wonderful poet, Mary Oliver. Mary Oliver, these lines, and I've used this at New Church Live before, but it's so stinking beautiful, I had to use it again. Mary Oliver, when it's over, I want to say, all my life, I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I've made, made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. That's not what we want. That's not what we envision. I think, brothers and sisters, what we envision is this. What we envision is that. You know, that, that deep reconciliation. And it's a reconciliation, folks, that's, that's it's just, it's so much more than just like, yeah, I have a brother who drives me crazy. It's, it's like, it's so much more than that. Reconciliation is a spirit of connectedness that breathes throughout the world, that that's, that's what we're supposed to pull towards. That's what we're supposed to work towards as best we can. Because you look at that picture, folks, like, like you think of all the, all the history that's in that picture for Joseph, all the pain and the heartache and the heartbreak, as well as the reconciliation that can be ours as well as we work towards it with tenderness. Because I think that is who we want to be. So, as we close this series, think about, again, going back to that first part, you know, what's your dream? And then how do we allow ourselves to have a resilience that allows that dream to move forward? And then how do we allow there to be the wonder and the awe of coming to realize that that dream is reconciliation. That dream is connection. That dream is, as Mary Oliver said, a bride married to amazement because the world is an amazing place when we live it in a connected way. A place where this, the purpose, my friends, is always greater than the pain. Amen. What we're going to do now is I'm going to offer a prayer and say the Lord's Prayer as well, the Our Father Prayer. And then we'll have a moment, just a quiet meditation, followed by our final song, I Can Change. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for the people who have gathered here in person and the people who have gathered online. Lord, stir in our heart what that purpose is. Connect it with that dream. Help us find resilience and help us practice reconciliation in our lives. 
the joy, the love that is all part of that. Thank you for being with us over this series. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for being with us in this week moving forward. Hear our prayer. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 